Building on a Firm Foundation Basics of the Catholic Faith A Catechism Series by David Rodriguez Sponsored by the Fatima Center Episode 21 Three Titles of Christ Given on November 17, 2020 Praise be Jesus and Mary I'm David Rodriguez, Content Director for the Fatima Center and we're building on a firm foundation as we study the basics of our Catholic faith. Now, in the previous episodes, we have been considering the profound question which Jesus Christ asks to every one of his disciples, to each one of us, Whom do you say that I am? Today we will continue to reflect upon this question under the auspices of three titles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster qui es in celis, santificetur nomen tuum. Adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos a malo. Amen. Sancte Toma, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Names are very important, and they take on a, a special significance in the sacred scriptures and when they are assigned by God. And so anytime we look at the, the doings of God, we should look at the names of the people, of the places. And so, of course, this is going to be very true with the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, when the Logos, the eternal word, takes on flesh. Now, he has many titles. I'm sure you all are familiar with, with many of them. For example, the Son of Man, or Emmanuel, God is with us, Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd, the Alpha and the Omega. From the O Antiphons, in Advent we get a number of them, like Root of Jesse and Key of David, and there's many more. Wonderful Counselor. It certainly would be helpful to look at all of them, because all of them are giving us a deeper insight and a more complete answer to this question of who our Lord is. But today we're just going to look at three of those titles, uh, which do carry other sort of subtitles with them, if you will. And we've already introduced them when I said that we we're going to look at, reflect upon our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the three titles we're going to look at right now. Lord, first. And then we'll look at Christ, and then we'll also look at the holy name of Jesus. When we say that he is Lord, what exactly are we referring to? Well, there's many passages in scripture where he is referred to as Lord. One of my favorites, though, comes from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. It's the great, here's a Greek word for you, kenosis, the great self-emptying or humiliation that the second person underwent for our salvation. So that's verses 4 through 11. But it ends with this great hymn of praise and glory to him, where St. Paul writes, And that every tongue confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory of God the Father. So here we have St. Paul describing that title, Lord. A number of times in the Gospels, someone might come and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We've brought up that prayer in this Catechism series. 
Well, anytime someone is calling him Lord, that is a profession in his divinity. So we've talked about how he's son of God. He is God, right? Son of God. And so that Lord title is expressing the divinity of our Lord. It's also expressing that he has redeemed us by his blood. He has purchased us or ransomed us. Much the way a servant or a slave would refer to his Lord. Because, in effect, you own me. In a real way, Christ owns us because we were under the power of the devil. And he has purchased us by his blood. In the sacrament of baptism, he has made us his own. So when we call him Lord, we're also acknowledging that. That he reigns over us because he has conquered and won our freedom for us. So we're going to get into his kingship. It's the title of king and Lord are really inseparable also. So he reigns over us. But it's more than all that because he also preserves us from sin. Especially by the sanctifying grace of his sacraments. He forgives us our sins. Those are things lords would do. Forgive a debt to empower or enable those under them to do their work, to do their duty, to do what they ought. He enables us to do good. Without him, we cannot do anything that is good. That's why he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here he means you can do nothing good. You can do nothing worthy of eternal life or of merit. Because only my heavenly Father is good. So he gives us all of that because of that he's our Lord. And also, he will judge us upon our death and our particular judgment. And also at the final judgment when he judges the whole world. So all of these things are wrapped up in this title of Lord. I specifically mentioned King in Apocalypse chapter 19 verses 16. St. John sees him coming. And he has got written on his thighs, with warrior there. And St. John writes, and he hath on his garment and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, king and lord very closely connected. This idea that he is king certainly comes from all the Old Testament prophecies. We see that very clearly when the angel appears to the Blessed Mother and is explaining who this will be that is going to be born of her. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33, where the angel Gabriel says, And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Christ is king, and his kingdom will never end. His kingship is an extremely important concept. As I mentioned in the previous class, the social kingship of Christ is one of those main doctrines that is misunderstood today. We've got to get it right. So we're actually going to dedicate, uh, in the future, an entire episode just to talk about Christ as our king. But for right now, we'll just very briefly mention that obviously this passage from Luke that the angel gives to Blessed Mother connects us with the whole idea of the Messiah. And that is uh, another word for Christ. But the Messiah obviously was understood by the Jewish people to be someone that God was going to send to be their king and to have the throne of David forever. Who was going to save them and redeem them? So we see these prophecies being fulfilled in Christ. Also, we say that he's king. It means that we have to believe in him, believe that he's Lord, believe that he's God, but believe in him as he himself has revealed 
as he reveals himself, because he's our king, because he's our Lord. So many people claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but they really don't. They've kind of created their own image of who Christ is, picked and choose and taken what they like and discarded what they don't like about him. They don't really take him for who he is. They don't believe in him the way he asks us to believe in him. So that's part of why it means to really ask this question of who do you say that I am? We have to acknowledge him for who he is and he is king. We have to acknowledge him as king. King of our hearts, king of our families, king of our society, king of our nation, king of everything. If we're not acknowledging him as king, as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, then we're not really believing in him as God, as he reveals himself. So we're going to get back to these points on his kingship. Uh, as we said with Lord, it also means he's going to judge us. A Lord judges his subjects. So Christ is our judge. And we should well know that right now during this life, this is the time for mercy. Our Lord is very merciful. Later on though, upon our death, then it's time for judgment. So we have to take advantage of these times when our Lord's mercy is being extended to us. Seeing him as judge, there's again many passages in the scriptures, but one of them comes from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 10, where St. Paul writes, For we must all be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the proper things of the body, according as he hath done, whether it be good or evil. So we're all going to find ourselves before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ who is our judge. That's really a reference to the particular judgment, but also the last judgment. And we'll be talking more about judgment as we go through the Catechism and the Apostles' Creed. It's in the Apostles' Creed that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And this is a reason why we need to fear the Lord, that gift of the Holy Ghost. And what fear of the Lord, of course, really means is that I, under no circumstance do I want to offend him. Death before a mortal sin. Death before sin, as St. Dominic Savio would say. That's the real fear of the Lord. To say no matter what, forget human respect, forget what you know people are going to say, forget what sufferings and trials and tribulations I may endure, what kind of fines they may levy on me, or if they're going to throw me in prison, I will not deny Christ. I will not sin. I will not go against my Lord, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, my judge. All right, so that's fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. Without that gift, there is no advancing there in the spiritual life. So that's just a really quick understanding of this title, Lord. You can see it carries so much, why it's so important. Then the second title, we also call him Christ. That is a Greek word. What does it mean? Well, the best way it can be translated in Hebrew is Messiah. So when we call him Jesus Christ, we're also saying Jesus Messiah. Uh, what does Messiah mean? In English, we could say anointed one. In a more colloquial or mundane word, would be the chosen one, right? So Christ, Messiah, anointed, chosen one, all of these are, are getting at that same concept that we're trying to say. Namely, that he's the chosen one of God to come and save us. His name, Jesus, means that he saves us. So really when you're saying Jesus Christ, we're saying the one God chose and sent to save us. There, there's a lot in that title. That's why the second person of the Trinity took on that very important name. But anointing, the anointed one, carries on also an extremely important significance in the Old Testament. As we said, it means God has chosen you for this special role, this special mission. And who got anointed in the Old Testament? Well, priests were anointed, prophets were anointed, and kings were anointed, right? We see that, for example, with Saul and David, Samuel, the other prophets. So, 
In saying that he is the anointed one, yes, the Messiah, yes, the one who fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies, how? As a priest, the perfect eternal high priest, as a prophet, and again, as a king, king forever. So back to that concept of kingship. He is our Messiah who fulfills every single Old Testament prophecy. So all the longing of all the patriarchs is fulfilled in him. Every single prophecy in the Old Testament is pointing towards him. His kingship, we're going to get more to, but he's a prophet, especially because, well, he certainly prophesied while he was here on earth, in that he foretells us things that will happen in the future, and we know those things are infallibly true because they are God, and God always speaks the truth, but also because he taught the law of God, and he interpreted the will of God, and then he left that power to teach all nations according to the laws of God and the will of God to his apostles. He entrusted it to his magisterium. So what we have in sacred scripture and sacred tradition and the perennial teaching of the magisterium, right? that also carries on Christ's prophetic role. Because while, yes, a prophet often does disclose hidden meanings of the future, that's often how we understand that word, in a more sort of general sense, prophet means someone who's telling us the will of God, someone who's explaining what God is asking of us especially, for example, in this or that moment in time, or you know, throughout our lives. That's what the prophet primarily does, and that's obviously what Jesus Christ does perfectly. So he is the perfect prophet. I mean, he's the Word of God, the Logos. You cannot be more prophetic than being the very Word of God, as we said, that's so perfect and so real that it is another person. If you recall, we're talking about the Blessed Trinity. And then he is, of course, priest. And that means he is the one eternal high priest, the one mediator between God and man. You, you may have heard this coming from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It's often quoted, actually, unfortunately, Catholics are attacked with this, where St. Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator of God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So yes, it is true, we only have one mediator between God and man, and it is Christ in his humanity. What does it mean to be a priest? What's the essence of priesthood? I'll never forget this lesson. I was in the seminary, so this is, you know, 20 years ago. And I had a good spiritual director. Father Jan Klock was his name. He really saved me that one year. He helped me keep my sanity, I should say. But he pulled me aside one time when we were doing spiritual direction, and he said, look, you're in the seminary here. You're going to be a priest. What's the essence of priesthood? Why are you doing this? What does it mean to be a priest? And so I, of course, start, you know, giving all these explanations. He says, no, 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 no. He goes, one word. Boil it down, the essence here. Give me one word. What does it mean to be a priest? And he left me with that. I actually came back two weeks later and had thought about it, gave him some more answers, and he didn't like any of them. But he told me, he said, one word, David. Sacrifice. That's his essence. That's why he exists. That's what the priest does. A priest is there to offer sacrifice. To offer sacrifice to God on behalf of men. And that sacrifice is what unites Unites men to God because it's healing the division that sin has created. And of course he does that at the Catholic altar, but that's supposed to be the entire life of the priest. In other words, the priest is supposed to be, if you will, an incarnate sacrifice, a living embodiment of sacrifice where everything he does is pour himself out in a sacrificial way. Back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 4-11, through 11, that kenosis I was talking about. And Christ does this, and he does this perfectly, and he does this forever. 
Okay. Once he's assumed that human nature, he will always be there interceding for us in heaven. You read the epistle to the Hebrews, it's all about the eternal priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just one passage, but I mean, Hebrews is a great treatise on that. In chapter 4, verse 14, for example, we'll read, Having therefore a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. A few verses later that he has an eternal priesthood that will last forever. Just like he's king forever and his kingdom will last forever, so he is priest and his priesthood will last forever. So he is priest. Now, there's some errors on that. You know, you might have heard people talking about how, oh, we're all priests and the priesthood of the laity and we're all priests, prophets and kings and things like that. We're going to get into that next time because as with many things, there's some truth to it, but there can also be some error. And you don't want to misunderstand that. We want precision. We want to define and distinguish things. Uh, You know who came up with that? Well, I'll tell you next time. But what I will leave you here with is with regard to his priesthood is that this brings in the whole concept of right worship. Lex orandi, lex credendi. That's another, the second big error. Ultimately, all our worship of God is done through, with, and in Jesus Christ. That's why he's our priest, our eternal priest, There can be no worship of God without Jesus Christ. He is our priest. And that's something that's grossly misunderstood today, in part because of these strange notions that people ascribe to things like, you know, everybody's a priest, prophet, and king. Definitely hold on to that thought, because we're coming back to it next time. And then our third title, Jesus. As we've already mentioned, this name literally means that he is our Savior. Already in St. Matthew's Gospel, when the angel comes to St. Joseph in the dream, chapter 1, verse 21, what does the angel tell him? And she, referring to our Blessed Mother, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And of course, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, when the angel Gabriel is talking to Blessed Mother, he also mentions that special name of Jesus, which means he's going to save us. Later on, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, St. Peter will proclaim, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. So, Jesus is our Savior. And He is the only one that can save us, and there is no salvation apart from Him. This is de fide. This is you know, bedrock of Christianity. This is Catholicism at its heart. We must know this. We must believe this. And this is under attack today because really, once you understand that, there's no salvation without Christ. It's through Him. And you know that the church is His mystical body. This teaching of extra ecclesia, no la salus, there's no salvation outside the church, makes perfect sense. Remember, that was that other third dogma that I said. People really misunderstand the kingship of Christ, that there's no salvation outside the church, and that we must render right worship. And as we talk about Him as our Savior... Another word that is often, is slightly different nuance, but that he's our redeemer, right? That he has bought us. He has bought us at this great price, the price of his own blood, the blood of God himself. Again, St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 will remind us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the remission of sins according to the riches of his grace. So he has saved us with the price of his own blood. That's why he comes down from heaven and assumes flesh. The word takes on flesh and dwelt amongst us so as to die for us. So as to redeem us. So as to save us. He becomes our king, our lord of lords, our eternal high priest. These are all wonderful titles of our Lord. He saves us. 
Every time you say the holy name of Jesus, think about that, that he saves us. And when you say the name of Christ, think of how he's the chosen one, the priest, the one called by God, that he's Lord, that he's our king. When we think about Jesus as saving us, you may even have been posed with a question. People might ask you, they might come up to you and say, well, are you saved? Have you ever heard that one? I heard it plenty, and for a while it perplexed me. If you've heard that, then we're going to deal more with that question, that Jesus is our Savior, and what do we answer when someone comes up to us and asks us, are you saved? That's what we're going to do in our next episode. Join us in a week, but for now, do send any questions you may have had over these topics, over any of these titles of our Lord. You can email them to us at info at fatima.org. I'll also put my email up there on the screen. You can also call us at 1-800-263-8160. The details for this whole catechism series are at the website, so you can check it all out there. Please do continue to support this apostolate and generously donate to this apostolate so we can keep these videos coming and keep educating people about the truths of our Lord Jesus Christ who saves us and of the message of Our Lady at Fama is so important. We've got to be praying for the Pope and the consecration of Russia, praying our rosary every day. That whole message of Fama, we've got to get it out to everyone. It's so important. With every passing day, it becomes more pressing. That's what this apostle is about. And so all your donations are helping further that. Thank you very much for your generosity. Please do continue to pray for us. We'll go ahead and conclude with our own prayer. Pray the Hail Mary. Nome Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostre. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. May you have a most blessed and grace-filled week. hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website www.fatima.org Immaculate Heart of Mary Ora Pro Nobis <laughs>